Well, good morning. Man, can you believe this is the last weekend in this building? That's incredible. As I have been reflecting on it, uh, I keep getting asked, people say, are you, uh, are you nostalgic or is it emotional for you through this process? And I said, you know, if, if we weren't doing the move over the next couple of days, it would be more severe for me. But the idea that we only have two more services uh, where I get to preach from this stage, that's, that's wild to me. When I walk these hallways, I'm thinking about the lives that were changed. I'm thinking about all the babies that were held and some of the little ones that they only know this campus. They only know this place all of their lives. Um, I think about all the times that we have had together where you have come up and either you were healed or touched or you received the Lord or your whole walk with God just launched from here. That's why it becomes very personal to me, is that this place is loaded full of memories. And I, I would be very sad if I did not believe that the Holy Spirit was going with us, right? So uh, knowing that he's going with us and that we have been praying that he would have a double portion of all that we have had here waiting there, I have extreme expectation of what God will do, but in no way do I want to pass on without appreciating the Lord for all that he has done here. And so if we could just pray as a family, just thanking the Lord richly for what he's done, right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we believe that it is all because of your power and your glory and your transformation, Holy Spirit, and your presence on why there has been so much good that has happened. It is only you that draw men to yourself. It is only you, Father, who save us and rescue us and transform us. It is only you that heal our marriages. It's only you that heal our hurts and our past. It's only you, God, that heals our physical bodies. It is only you, God, who brings about a new mindset and a new perspective on life. It is only you, Lord, who knit together broken relationships of all sorts. And so, Father, with all of the memories that we have that flood us from this place, from the other side of the campus all the way to here, for all the counseling times, with all the prayer times, with all the laughter, with all the baptism, with all the baby dedications, there is just richness on this land because of you. So, Father, we praise you, and we don't want to move forward without saying thank you, thank you, thank you. For, God, you have spoiled us. You have given us abundance. You have gone above and beyond. And you have done things that we deemed impossible. And you have done it here. So, Father, we thank you for here. And we long for there. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Praise God. Thank you. All right, so I got some announcements. I told you we were going to have a bit of a family meeting, so let me go through that material and then we'll jump into God's Word. Uh, hopefully every one of you received a card on your way in that says we're going to be at William Jessup next weekend. All right, do not come here. All right, I appreciate the effort. We're just not going to be here for you. So William Jessup next weekend. Make sure that you have that and that you know. We gave you a map with a million arrows. I don't even know what they mean. 
but you can figure it out. So right across the freeway, if you're not from this area, it's very close. It's right across the freeway on Sunset over there at William Jessup University. Now, why are we having a service there? Well, real quick question for you, and I, and I want you to answer this honestly, because if you lie, God knows, right? All right, so real quick question. Um, remember I mentioned that we needed a temporary certificate of occupancy. You remember that last time? All right. Uh, how many of you actually prayed that we would get in the building? Raise your hands. You gotta be honest here. All right. All right. So there's a good amount of you. All right. Here's what happened. Here's what happened because of the prayers of the saints. those of you that did intercession for us, there has been tremendous breakthrough. However, we got what's called, in my mind, a temporary, temporary certificate of occupancy yesterday morning. Praise God. All right. <laughs> we're like, what are we clapping for? I don't even know. Where, what does that even mean? Okay. And, and here's what it was. Your prayers got us an opportunity to be able to move in. Now, remember how we're doing the big move today. We're doing the move today, tomorrow, and the next day. Had we not got this allowance, we would have had to move into the other building and then move it all again. So what they have said is that we actually had two failed inspections this week. One got cleared up, one did not. The one that did not was a fire panel. Now you're going to go, do we really care about that? Well, we kind of do. Because <laughs> people die. But anyway... The, the fire panel was kind of a big, a big deal. So when they, when they looked at it, they said, you know, this thing has to be replaced. The problem is they don't make those anymore. So we had to find a replacement part, uh, because if we redo it, it's between 50 and a hundred thousand dollar bill. So we have a company locally that believes they have the solution. They're going to bring it on Tuesday and plug it in and figure it out. So we're all hanging on that. So what temporary, temporary means is that until we get that cleared up, we're allowed to move stuff in, but we can't hang out there, if that makes any sense. Once we get the temporary certificate of occupancy, we can then move everything in and be there as long as we have everything checked off for the actual certificate of occupancy. So that's why I'm saying, if you were praying about it, we have a massive advance forward but y'all need to pray harder. That's really what I'm trying to say here. We got to do a little bit more prayer and say, Lord, come on. You got to help us out a little bit more on this one. So anyway, let me, let me just share a little bit about what we are going to talk about on the finances. This is a family meeting. Here's what I need you to know. We are a thankful family. You will hear no bad news here. You're only going to hear the glory of God because that's all that we are seeing. Uh, are there challenges? Yeah. Who cares? We are spoiled. All right. And we don't ever pretend otherwise. The fact that we have temperature controlled environments and squishy chairs and all this stuff, that's a big deal, right? I mean, we are so spoiled and we don't want anyone that is brand new to think in some way we're here to manipulate or we're here to grumble or complain. There's none of that. Not in this family. We feel wonderful about what God has done. But I do want you to know what I know. Uh, however, we don't, we have limited time. So I'm going to give a little bit more detail at our annual business meeting, our annual business meeting. I need you to be on the lookout for that. All right. That's coming up here in June. So make sure that you're tracking on it. Uh, so I'm going to share more detail there. This is very, very basic. So I'll go through it fast. 
There are three main reasons why we are moving from this wonderful location. One of them is ownership. We, after uh, 18 years before we started this process, 18 years as a church, had never owned anything. We would like to invest in something that has equity. All right? That's important. We had leases that were coming up, and we had to make a decision. Are we going to re-sign here for rent? We couldn't do that and feel as we were being the best stewards of our money. So number one was that, ownership. Number two was financial freedom. We needed to be able to restructure our loan and not be bound to the rent situations. We needed to get into an equity situation, and we needed to get into a possibility of a revenue-generating situation with tenants. So that's another reason. The third reason was space alleviation and space expansion possibilities, which is why we have land to move into, all right? Now, all of those, I believe, are legitimate reasons for why our family needs a home. You then responded, and we have purchased a new home. Now, we were given a tremendous deal by God. If you remember, it's $14 million for a 50-acre campus with 207,000 square feet and tremendous amount of parking and everything that he has for us. It's a wonderful, wonderful deal. Praise God. Absolutely. So in order to get in there, we had to have a down payment. And so we launched a campaign. We then looked at it and we said, we need to be able to churchify it. All right. Now that's a technical term. I don't know if anybody's can handle that level of talk there. Uh, churchify just made it up. We needed to churchify the building because it was great for an office. It was not great for a church. So we had to go in and do some renovations. Initially, we thought that the cost for renovations was going to be approximately $3 million. It was not. It ended up being $4.8 million. And so as we have come to you and we said, hey, we needed this initially, and then we needed this how are we going to pay for this? Well, there's a couple of things you need to know. One of them is that our financer, AG Financial, they're not a bank. They went to the extreme lengths to cover us and protect us to almost completely cover the main core construction as well as purchase out our loan. We owe them the full amount, right? They did not need to give us extra money for construction, but they did. So you will only hear praise for AG Financial. They have been incredible. Now, praise God, yeah. Now, what happened is that as we were going through this process, three million of the money that we raised was gonna go for the down payment. So what was going to be the other part that we were gonna be able to put towards the building to help out with the other construction, the cost, the soft cost, the purchases, things like that. Check this out. This is amazing. In our short amount of time, remember we only had a very short window and then we had two years. We are not going to extend that. It ends this November. Two years, this church with no million dollar givers, nothing like that. It was a family, over 1,600 families in this church we scooped together the money that God has given us, and we raised $4.7 million. What is so fascinating to me about this process, um, and that is as pledges are coming in, remember how I told you that our pledges were coming in above average, which were at 80%. 
Did you know that when we did the reinvest campaign and you pledged a million dollars of that, do you realize that's coming in at 90%? We're just blowing away every statistic. So thank you. Thank you. Here's what else is amazing to me. We did this campaign during the two most difficult years of our entire church's existence. And right now, not only is it all going well, but we are hitting all of our budget numbers for the year. That's amazing. Yeah, praise God. Because remember, all this had to be above and beyond. So how could we do that? Um, Well, once again, God is multiplying our money. That's the only way we can explain it. So we have got enough for the bare construction. We got enough for the purchase. You have given us enough to be able to do the key, the core purchases. So what are we talking about today? Well, we are still a bit short on some things and we had to really pull back and cut some things that we normally would not have wanted to cut. You know how you move into a new house and you go, oh, you know what we could do? We could do this with a backyard. And then you realize by the end of the process, you don't have any money for the backyard. So you kind of go, all right, we're not going to do that. All right. So we are coming to you as a family and just saying, we have some things that we would love to do. And if they are important and valuable to you, we are asking that you would be a part of that. You have to fulfill your pledges that you've already given. And I'm basically speaking to a couple groups. I'm speaking primarily to those of you that are brand new. You never got a chance to be a part of this process. I don't want anyone walking onto that campus that hasn't invested into this because I want everyone to say, this is my house. I helped build this. This is not somebody else. This is not, I'm an observer and other people did this and I'm in their house. No, 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 no. You're in your house. When you walk those hallways, it's your house. Amen. Praise God. That's what we want. So whether it's a dollar or a million dollars, whatever, we just want everyone as a part of it. So those of you that have never been a part of it, we're talking to you. Those of you that are brand new to the church, we're talking to you. If you need more information, we can get that to you. I want to say thank you to all of you that have been faithful. You have been giving, giving, giving. And you know what? Some of you don't need to give a dime more. God has already said, hey, that's good. We're good. But he has also prepared some of you over the last six months with extra overage. And he did so anticipating this move. So here's what we're talking about. Here's what we mean when we had to cut back. So a couple things. Decorating and equipping the kids' way edge and fuel spaces. Things had gotten really tight. And had we not got a little extra funding, we would not have been able to actually have sound for them. We, so we have all the design. We just didn't have the money to be able to put up all the decorations that we wanted to make it look homey. Uh, finishing the flooring in the sanctuary. We're going to seal it, but we're not going to make it shiny. All right. These are areas that we can cut. Getting the signs we need on the outside of the building, furnishing and equipping our lobby and cafe areas, landscaping and courtyard modifications, redoing the parking lot, sealing and painting. Painting the campus. I don't know if you've seen the oxidized, brilliant teal color, but it's not our favorite. Uh, and then finally, altering the gates. So this, this brings me to a quick announcement. Uh, how many of you have actually been on the new campus? Raise your hand. Oh, awesome. Praise the Lord. All right, fantastic. Now, had you gone in on industrial, which is the normal way a lot of us may have gone, if you go in on industrial to the new campus, you go, wow, it looks like Eden. If you go in on the Washington side, you go, wow, it looks like jail. 
All right? Now, here's why. It all depends on what entrance you went in, right? It's, there's the narrow gate and the broad gate. All right, anyway, I'm a preacher, right? When you go in, there's all this fencing on one side, and it all has razor wire. And nothing says, come to Jesus, like razor wire. All right, so... I just need you to be aware, we do not have the current funding to remove the razor wire, nor do we have to be able to reorchestrate the gates to where it's good for security purposes, but it doesn't say, please don't ever visit us, right? So we're working on that. When you go to the campus, all right, no judgment, all right, we're doing our best. Uh, so these things, what we're saying is, these are the types of things we would love to be able to raise the money for. If you are able to do that and you would like to be a part of this, you need to let us know by if it's a cash donation, it's got to be in an envelope that says invest. If it is a check, it's got to be in the memo invest. We need to know what is going for what. If it's non-cash stock stuff, we got to get you to the right financial department person to help you through with that. So whatever it is, we would love for you to be a part of it. We're going to need you to have to contact us as soon as possible, and we'll get you in contact with our financial department and Heidi Coffrin, our director of operations. So all I'm saying is it's good. Everything that we're looking at is good. We need to finish out our pledges. We need to finish out our promises, but really we are blessed. And if we walk into a home and the backyard isn't done, so what? God is good and we are spoiled. So let's just one last time thank the Lord. Praise God. Would you take out your Bibles? We are in the book of Ecclesiastes today. We are in part six of our God Meets World series. And I have entitled today's message, Nothing Else Matters. Uh, if you could also take out the handout sheet that was given to you at the front door, I'm going to draw your attention to the fill in the blank. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under the seat in front of you. Ecclesiastes on in that Bible is at page 554, 554. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 9 as we begin. But I want to just share some thoughts right up front. I am not here to debate with you how long our world has been in existence. I don't want to debate with you, although it would be fun and fascinating, to talk about the age of the earth. Is it an old earth? Is it a young earth? I'm not going to talk with you about the gap theory. I'm not going to talk with you about all those other issues, modification, adaptation, all these different issues. I don't want to talk about any of that. I want to make one very clear point. The Bible does not support evolution. And I need you to understand that if God was trying to get across the point of evolution, he blew it because that is not at all what the Bible supports. And here's what we do know. The Bible says that God is a creator and we are in his creation right there. That defies the idea of evolution. Now you go, what about theistic evolution? What about God just kicking it off? Well, if that's the case, once again, Genesis did a very poor job of communicating that because it kept using one phrase over and over and over again, which said, and God created them each according to its kind. Whenever you say that, it wrecks the evolutionary chain. 
God created in individual kinds. Now, we can all argue about how he did it. We can all argue about how long it took. We can all argue. And you know what? We should not divide over that stuff. You guys, that is not the core issues. We're allowed to disagree. We're allowed to all understand that we have differing opinions. I'm right and you're wrong, but that's not the point. (laughs) We should all have healthy dialogue on this stuff because really we need to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. But I do need you to understand that the Bible is very clear. There is a creator and we are the created. And if that is the case, the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. The creator dictates the purpose. The creator dictates the purpose. What do I mean? If we are created, then we are created for a purpose. The one who made it gets to say what it's for. And that's when we turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 9, it begins like this. He said, what gain has the worker from his toil? And that is really his big question. This book is very cyclical. It goes around and around and around and tells the same thing in repeating. What ultimate gain, if we're going to take this world and we take God out of it, is there any ad? Is there any benefit? Is there anything we can bring into it? Or ultimately, do we have to go outside of this world to have meaning? He's stirring this in his heart and he's arguing out the pros and cons of everything. We've just finished a beautiful poem where everything has a time and a season. Do you remember that? There's a time to be born and a time to die. We went through all that. He's now going to talk about examples. He said in verse 10, I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. In other words, I've analyzed our universe very deeply. And he, verse 11, God has made everything, has made all things beautiful in its time. He is now importing God into the situation and says, because of God's presence, things are beautiful, not only when they happen, but how long they happen. And you go, but what about the bad stuff? That's what he's going to get into. You're right. There's a bunch of bad stuff. Why? Because God has not yet placed his entire rule and wiped out sin yet. Therefore, There is bad things that are happening in this world, okay? He said also, another complicated thing that God does, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet he's done so in a way that man cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Okay, this is a very, very deep statement, and it explains a lot of our angst that we have here in this world. God has put eternity in the hearts of mankind. What does that mean? It means at least two things. It means, number one, that we know that there's more. Every day that we are in this world, there is a cry in our heart to say, this cannot be it. There's no way. I mean, I was born with an immortal spirit and that has to go somewhere. And even though I don't understand all about the afterlife, I know that this can't be it. Everything here is a pale, is a pale shadow in comparison to the real somewhere else. So as we look around, we feel very, very frustrated by going, why are things ending? I'm built to be forever. And so all of this ending stuff is so hard on my heart. But not only is it that, 
God has built us in his image to be reasonable beings. We have the ability to do critical thinking, to think outside of ourselves. And so we want to contemplate how everything works together and we're never going to get there because we will never be God. So how maddening is that about the idea that God has built us with a desire to know, but then he has shut us down from knowing? Is that purposeful? It is. He said this. 12, verse 12. I perceived and understood, therefore, that there is nothing better for mankind than to be joyful of deep meaning, to do good works as long as they live from the beginning to the end. And also, verse 13, another good thing, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is the gift of God to man. Okay, what, what is he saying? You've been capped, and so have I. We're never going to understand the big picture. We're never going to understand God's sovereign plans. We're never going to understand how it all works out, not in this life, and maybe not even fully in the next life. We will know more, but we will never be omniscient. He has capped us, and if he's capped us from the big picture, then how are we supposed to put the pieces together? How are we not supposed to get so frustrated we give up? Because in understanding we are created beings, if we don't have the big picture, what do we have but today? Too many of us will not worship the Lord rightly because we're thinking of yesterday or we're thinking about tomorrow. Our baggage of our past has wrecked his glory or our fear of the future has wrecked his glory. Neither one is acceptable. We have today. And when God made today, he's asking you, will you trust me today? I do know the big picture. I do know how to bring meaning in. So when I tell you to do something in its perfect time, it is good. It's good because all collectively, those little decisions are what I'm using to bring about a bigger picture of glory. Therefore, what I expect of my creation, he said, is I need you to trust me and obey me. I need you to say, yes, Lord, even when you don't get it. Because there's some things you don't need to get. You're like, oh, how could we possibly not need to know something? Do you remember in the Garden of Eden, this is what caused a problem in the first place? The enemy is like, you should eat that fruit. And she's like, well, what's it for? And he's like, well, it kind of makes you equal with God. And there's some things you don't know. And you really need to know this stuff. And so she said, wait, 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 he's holding out on me? All right. And she partook of the fruit, and so did Adam. Did that go well? There's some things you don't need to know. He said, I've got it. You wouldn't get it anyway. So I need you to trust me, and I need you to be obedient in the moment, in today. The other thing that I think is important to, to highlight is it's okay to enjoy the gifts of God. Somehow we think that being stoic, cynical, and grumpy is Christian. That is not correct. As a matter of fact, if God gives you a gift today, and you're, well, it probably won't last. <laughs> right? Is that, is that what you say, ladies, when you get flowers? Would you give me a bunch of dead things? Man, they're cut off from their life source. It's only a matter of time. <laughs> right? No. When God gives you a gift, he's trying to give you things, and sometimes he just wants you to smile. 
And every time he wants you to go, thanks, dad. Right. It's okay to enjoy today. It's okay to say, I don't have it all figured out and not everything is going right. But wow, my dad hears me, sees me. He's walking with me through it. And he gave me a present today. Amen. We need amen, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, we got to thank him along the way. I know it's not everything, but it's good. It's right. And the father has put little gifts along the way just to make you smile. I think that's awesome. It says it this way. He said, verse 14, I perceived, I figured out that whatever God does endures forever. He is constant. He is consistent. Nothing can be added to it, nor can anything be taken away from it. What does he mean? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when he wants something to happen, it's going to happen and no one can shut him down. Would you agree with that? Here's why. He has called out his shots and written the end of our story. He has said the enemy's going to lose. There is nothing the enemy can do to turn that around. Satan will simply not win. Because God said so. So he's saying, listen, things aren't up for grabs. When I tell you something, and I tell you it is for sure, when I give you a promise, it is unalterable. You're not going to screw it up. The enemy's not going to steal it. I know what I'm doing. God said that his son will have a bride, therefore there will be rescued people. He has said there will be a greater future in heaven than there is now. He said, I'm going there to prepare a place for you that you might be with me. And that means the enemy's not allowed to wreck it. Therefore, he is sovereign. And we need to understand that. He said this, and God has fixed it this way. God has done it so that people would fear before him. Well, that sounds terrible. God did a bunch of stuff and made it frustrating. What? So that we'd be scared of him? No, we missed it so that we would respect him. You are supposed to look out into the world and see that it's bigger than you. You're supposed to be dwarfed by a vision of the universe. You're supposed to have experiences that are way over your head. You are supposed to engage with things in this world you will never wrap your mind around. Why? Because you're not God. And you're supposed to be consistently reminded about that every day. Why? Because you'll never be more miserable than you're your own God. You know what I mean? If you are your own God in your mind and in your heart, then there is no help for you. There is no hope for you. But if indeed you are not your own God, if indeed there is a God and he is good, then you have a hope and you have a future. Amen. Amen. Praise God. He said, verse 15, that which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, meaning God has always been consistent with his will. But then it says something weird, and God seeks what has been driven away. Scholars don't know what that means. So they're all in debate and they're arguing. I'm going to pull one of them that I think is most likely and is backed up in scripture and other places. So that way the default, we're safe. But here's what I think it means. I think it means God's really into redemption. Here's why. Sometimes we think only in terms of time. Wow, that's in the past. I'll never get that back. Do you understand that time is not a problem for God? Man, we broke that relationship. It can never be restored. We say phrases like this. And yet God goes, I'm sorry, why are you limiting me with your limitations? Growing up, 
my dad didn't quote a lot of scriptures, but there was one scripture that he did quote, and it was totally old school. And I, and I was at the beginning, I was like, why are you quoting this one? It's so weird. Why can't you quote like a normal one, like John three sixteen or something? But he quoted this one. The Lord will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. And what that means is there was a time in Israel where judgment was coming in with a locust plague and they would eat up all the vegetation and then Israel would feel completely abandoned. We're never going to get that back. We're never going to have enough. It's going to take so long for that to show up again. We've lost everything. And he said, no, no, no. God can make up for lost time. God can bring abundance that is greater than what you lost. God is so good at redemption. God is so good at restoration. God is so good at going back and grabbing things that are lost and making up for them. You must have hope. Well, that concept has stuck with me. God is not bound by what binds you. And so he loves to chase that which you thought was lost and go rescue it. You know, recently uh, there was a young man who this, our whole family kind of was tied into because some of his family goes here, some of his family goes to destiny, but he was lost up in the mountains. I don't know if you guys were tracking on that on the news. And I remember praying and just saying, God, you know where he is. You know where he is. And, and you know, they had so many rescue things and everybody kept saying, there's no way he's going to make it, blah, blah, blah. And he was rescued because God knew where he was. Praise God. God knows. God knows. Verse 16. Moreover, I saw under the sun in a world without God, that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. In the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. Hmm. Is that really true? Let's say, what is a place of justice? If you were to just kind of, what's the first thing that pops in your mind? Usually it's the court system, right? You would say, all right, so the courts are fair, but are courts always fair? No. Is that not frustrating? Isn't it maddening? Because it's the one place that is supposed to be the source of fairness, and yet it's not. There's corruption there, or there's distortion there, or there is human fallibility there. You understand what I'm saying? And so you think, that's where I'll be protected, and then you're not. And your whole world kind of crumbles. Well, where would you go for righteousness? Where is the one place in society where it's supposed to be good and right and godly? The church. Shouldn't you assume that you could go to any church and you'd be able to find God there and that you would be able to find truth there and you'd be able to find love and grace there and yet when you get to church, you find corruption there too. Is that not maddening? Is that not break down your spirit? Going of all places, it should be here and yet you got all these yahoos running it. Right? I'm looking at every elder. <laughs> the, the bottom line is, no, in this world, you keep looking for God. And when you keep running into man, you keep getting disappointed, right? But it's fascinating. We keep going, man, the bad guys are winning. The bad guys are winning. Look at what he says next. But then I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. Do you understand that in any justice situation, there is a delay 
between the crime and the punishment. Do you understand that? What do I mean? I mean that if somebody does something wrong, there is some type of delay. It may be a second. It may be multiple years before the punishment is carried out. But we don't seem to have a problem with that if it's carried out. Nobody's going, man, it's been like 32 hours and the guy's not in jail yet. But we do that with God. God, the bad guys are getting away with it. Why? Because there's the delay. What do you mean they're getting away with it? What do you want to define as getting away with it? We have a hard time with forgiveness because we believe everyone's getting away with it. But what if they're not? Let me explain something. Let me pull back the curtain. Here's how it goes. Whatever you have in your heart of hatred and unforgiveness and anger towards someone that has wronged you and they have wronged you rightly and deeply, meaning they did it. Nobody's making an excuse. Whatever hatred you have in your heart, what is the punishment that you've come up with? Is it beyond eternal damnation and eternal torment? Are you kidding me? You got a better one than that. God is going, stop with your little justice system. I got it. You see, nobody gets away with anything in my world. Someone will die for that sin. It will either be my son or it will be that person. Someone's got to die. Well, Lord, what I'm afraid of is that you're going to let Jesus die for that bad person. Oh, like he did for you. Do you understand why unforgiveness doesn't make sense? God goes, I got it. Let it go. I'm working on it. We're okay. But God, do you realize that 95% of the people that you hate in your heart don't even know or care? The only one that's hurting is you. A lot of them aren't even here anymore. Does that make sense? Verse 18. I said in my heart deep down with regard to the children of man or humanity that God is testing them to reveal something that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. You know, sometimes this life is about testing to reveal to us something and sometimes it's to reveal to our audience something. Some things that you go through in life, you're supposed to recognize you're not all that. Sometimes... It's not even a lesson for you. It's a lesson for someone else. You're like, what do you mean? Do you know that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses? We are not only surrounded by believers of all time. We're not only surrounded by this world that's looking at us. We are surrounded by a heavenly host. And we're surrounded by the demonic. They're all watching. Some of the stuff that you go through is a drama to reveal something to them. Do you realize that in the book of Job, Job didn't really learn anything, but Satan sure did because it's not just about us. The point is, is God knows what he's doing and he's revealing things all over to his creation, things about him. And we have to trust that for what happens to the children of man, verse 19, and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts. For all is vanity, everything dies. And they all go to the same place, the grave. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. 
He said, man, the whole idea of arrogance is ridiculous. You're puffing out your chest thinking you're a big deal and you can dominate the world. And yet if I shut off your breath like that, click, you're gone. The only reason you keep looking over and you're like, oh, I'm big and bad. You're the same as roadkill squirrel. (laughs) He didn't see it coming either. And as I'm watching the two of you and you're giving out your last breath, it kind of looks the same. So don't tell me that you're big and bad. No, you're not. The only reason that your heart is still pounding is because I am sustaining the universe by my power. I'm the one that squishes your little heart. I'm the one that keeps you going. I'm the one that fills your lungs. I'm the one that keeps your blood flowing. So no, no, no. I'm a big deal. You're not. And we need to be reminded of that and keep shutting down our desire to be God. Then he says something weird in verse 21. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. Why did he say that? Because he's going, man, I watch them both die and it really looks the same. I don't know what to do with that. I don't know if God only recycles people and he doesn't recycle doggies. I have no idea. Does he have to make new ones for heaven? I don't know. Verse 22. So I saw in my assessment of all this that there is nothing better, more valuable or meaningful than a man should rejoice in his work, what he does in this life of value. For that is his lot, his design and his purpose. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Who in the world can give him proof of an afterlife? Oh, that's interesting. It's ironic. Who can do that? Y'all know what NDEs are? Near-death experiences. Anybody ever heard of those? We actually have a number of them in this church. People that have died for minutes at a time and they've had some type of experience. They're very complicated to sort out and they don't always mean what you think they mean. But a lot of them are legit. They really had this experience. And God many times has engaged with many folks. So indeed, there has been people who have had a little glimpse of what's on the other side, and then they can reveal it to us. But let's take it up a notch. Do you realize that there have been legitimate resurrections? I'm talking about Lazarus-type resurrections, meaning it wasn't like, dude, I flatlined for like 18 minutes. He's like, no, I was dead for four days. I was dead, dead, right? I mean, I was over there. I was hanging out. I was doing stuff. I was fishing by the time I came back, right? And he came back alive. He could talk about what's on the other side, right? Well, let's take it up another notch. Do you realize there have been visitations from the dead? Now you're going to go, whoa, now you're getting creepy. I'm not talking about ghosts. Ghosts are bogus. Here's what I'm talking about. We could either go the creepy route, which is Saul and the witch of Endor in the Old Testament, where Samuel is brought up from the dead. And boy, is he ticked off. Don't want to do that. Or we can go positive to the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, and who shows up? Moses and Elijah. Two guys that have been dead a really long time show up on this earth. That's called a visitation. They can certainly talk about what's going on, but let's kick it up another notch. Jesus Christ. He goes, yeah, came from there, going back there, can kind of go back and forth whenever I want, And I run that. I'm the one that designed that. So yes, I can tell you exactly what goes on in the afterlife. As a matter of fact, I wrote a whole bunch about it in a book. You should read it sometime. (laughs) So yeah, I'm going to tell you everything about it. 
And what did he tell us? Here's what Jesus has told us. For those who trust in Jesus Christ, who believe in him, who have faith in him, who have surrendered their lives, who have been cleansed of their sins and saved, that he has gone ahead of us and prepared a place for us to be with him forever. And in that place, there is no more sin, no more pain, and no more tears. In that place, he is fully known to us, and we are no longer in the tension of eternity in our hearts, but not knowing the big picture. Although we will never be omniscient or anything close to God, we will be whole, we will be peaceful, we will be joyful, and we will be alive in ways we've never even dreamed. Oh, Jesus has been there and come back, and he tells us that there is better than here. Can I have the prayer team come up here? Here's the deal. God has told us what he's up to. He didn't have to, but he did because he loves us. And there are certain things that we know. We know that he has made a way. There are some of us in this room or can hear my voice or watching online, whatever, that you have not made that decision to go his way and let him rescue you. You must do that now. That's why the prayer team's here. There are some of us that in our tension between now and then, we're hurting with things that God is saying, you don't need to hurt anymore. Now, is that all things? I don't think so. But there are some things going on right now, heartaches, mental illness, physical pain. There are certain things that God said enough is enough and all he's waiting for is you to talk to him about it. That's what the prayer team is here for. So as we are closing up this beautiful time in this beautiful place, may we make one more memory of engaging with our Lord Jesus Christ personally before we step out. Let's pray together and let's utilize the prayer team who is here to walk with you through the tough stuff. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good and gracious and kind. Holy Spirit, you are mighty and powerful and soothing and comforting. We are asking right now that you would have your way. Father, for all of us that are going through something right here, right now, that is no longer necessary, and you're waiting for your kids to ask, may they be healed in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth just like that. Father, there are some of us that need to learn what it is to build healthy relationships. There are some of us that need our marriages fixed. There are some of us, Lord, who are so worried about our future we can't even sit still. There are some of us, Lord, who can't even live looking forward because our heads are in reverse looking backwards. God, I pray you'd fix us. I pray that you'd heal us and touch us. I pray, Father, that you would show us what it means to worship you rightly, where we can just glory in you and accept your good gifts for today, that we could trust you enough to obey you, even though we don't get it, even though it doesn't seem right to us, even though it doesn't seem good and fair. And indeed, Lord, it might not be here, but you've got it covered. We trust you, Father. And we say yes to you in advance 
Thank you, Lord, for our blessings in this place. May you meet us with a double portion in our new building. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Have a wonderful week.